because today we're talking about suffering. And there really is a question of why do bad things happen to good people? Like, why, 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 do, why do children of God have to go through suffering and pain and hurt and turmoil? Like, why does it happen to good people? Because I think many of us have this belief somewhere in us that if we follow God right, that the suffering in our lives will decrease. Like, we have this belief that if I can just follow Jesus, if I can walk in obedience, it will mean I will have less problems. I will have less struggles. We've kind of grown to believe that somehow obedience with God means less pain. And so when we believe that, it gets really confusing when we go through suffering. Because suddenly, we're really confused when we lose our job for no reason. When the person we're praying for ends up dying anyway. When we get diagnosed with a sickness even though we've been living right. Because we've linked these two concepts. We've believed somehow that, you know, following God means less problems. And yet, church, as you, as you start to read through Scripture, you see the Bible's not teaching us that. The Bible doesn't link closeness to God to a lack of problems. In fact, one of the people I think was the closest to God in all of the history of the world was the Apostle Paul. Right? I mean, this guy wrote majority of our New Testament. He was used by God to write the Bible. Talk about being close to God, right? Really close. And yet he even shares that he went through suffering. And we see closeness to God does not mean an absence of problems. Listen to what Paul went through, like the super Christian. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11 from verse 25, he tells us three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, and not in the way some of you have been stoned right? <laughs> Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and day adrift at sea. I've traveled on many long journeys. I've faced danger from rivers and from robbers. He came through South Africa, obviously. <laughs> I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews as well as the Gentiles. I've faced danger in the cities and the deserts and on the seas. I've faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights, I have been hungry and thirsty and often gone without food. And I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Clearly, closeness to God does not mean a lack of suffering. Clearly, closeness with God, obedience with God, walking this way that we're talking about does not mean a lack of problems. You see, we were in this series called Follow Me, where we were encouraging people to actually follow Jesus, not just to believe in Him, but to live for Him. But for many of us, what trips us up is that as we start following Jesus, we have this expectation that our problems will decrease, our suffering will get less, and then when that doesn't happen, man, we like question, why am I even following Jesus? Like when that doesn't happen, it can often take us out of our faith. And I want to say this, if you have a belief anywhere in your heart that a closeness to God, obedience to God equals less problems, it just makes you an easy target for the devil. Can I just say that? If you believe anywhere that obedience equals less suffering, you're an easy target for the devil. You know why? Because the moment you start following God, all that the devil has to do is just add a little pain into your life. 
just inject a little bit of suffering, put a little bit of discomfort, and suddenly you're like, what? If this is what following Jesus is about, I'm out. And so we see many people giving up on following Jesus because they experience pain and suffering. Now, why would the devil stop doing that? Why would he give up on a winning strategy? <laughs> if it's working in your life, if pain makes you stop following Jesus, he's just going to keep up with the pain. And for many of you, you felt this cycle. For some of you, you might even have said, every time I try following God, my life just falls apart. Every time I try just following Jesus, things get worse, they don't get better. We even say things like, you know, my pray praying doesn't work. Being a Christian, this Christian thing doesn't work. What are we saying when we say that? We're saying, well, what I expected was less problems. Was I, what I expected was less pain. What I expected was for God to take away my suffering if I followed him. And that didn't happen. So I don't know if this faith thing, this Christian thing works. And so they go through trials and then they give up. And so today, here's what I want to do. This whole message is about one thing. I want to encourage you to keep on following Jesus, even when you're suffering. I want to encourage you today to keep on following Jesus, even in the pain, even in the loss, even in the grief, even in the unexpected, to keep on following, to hold on to Jesus through the storm. Today, I want to encourage you, and I want to share some of the things that I've dealt with in all the, the things that I've thought through in my pain, because, you know, maybe it doesn't look like it, but I've certainly in my life experienced my fair amount of pain and suffering and loss. There have been many things in my life that have driven me to my knees, that have made me call out, why God? There have been many things that have, that have not made sense to me, that have not felt fair, that have not felt right, that's felt like an injustice. And so I want to share some of the things, the journey that God's taken me on and trying to get to a place where I understand perhaps some of the reasons for the pain that you and I face. And I really think we have to take it right back to the beginning and just try answer this very foundational question is, why is there bad in this world? Why is there even evil in the world? Why? If God is sovereign and God is all-powerful, and he has the ability at any time to stop the devil and trap him, which one day he will do. Why does he allow evil to exist? This has been a question that has tripped up many philosophers and theologians over the years. It's one of the reasons people don't believe in God. It's one of the reasons people don't follow him. There's even a term for it, theodocracy. This is when people say, well, if God is sovereign, he wouldn't allow evil. So then I don't believe that there's a God who's sovereign. Some of you have struggled with this in your own life. Why would God allow that? Why would he let this happen? Why would he let this exist? In fact, the Bonner Group did a survey of people, and they surveyed people, and they said, if you could ask God any question, he was guaranteed to answer you, what would you ask him? And overwhelmingly, the question was this, why would God allow this? Why would he allow evil? Why would he allow pain? Why would he allow the devil to do his stuff on earth? Why would God allow it? And so, why does God allow evil to exist? Well, I want to just share with you the way that I've made peace with this. And I want you for a moment to try to put yourself in the shoes of a creator. 
someone who has the ability to create. And I want you to imagine with me. Can you imagine for a second? Imagine that I had the ability to create a colony of ants. Okay, so I'm going to put these ants in a little glass jar, and I'm going to create these ants. And I love these ants. And I actually want to, like, help them in their life. I want to be a friend to them. I want to support them. I want to encourage them. And as I'm creating them, what if I kind of come to this question, hmm, what if the ants don't love me back? What if the ants don't like me? I mean, I want to love them. I want to be in relationship with them. But what if they don't like me back? And so as a creator, I've got one of two options. Option number one is I could create and put in their DNA just this, this absolute love for Ryan. Like I could just infuse it into the DNA so they come out of the little ant egg saying, Ryan's amazing, <laughs> right? And this is how they spend their days, just going in circles. Ryan's amazing. We love Ryan. Ryan's amazing. Now, I could do that as a creator. I had that power to put that in the DNA to just force them to worship me and to love me. The problem is, while these ants are dancing in a circle saying, Ryan's amazing, I'll know. They don't, they don't really believe that, right? That, that's actually just me echoing my own thoughts back to me, that it's not from them. It's not their free will. They didn't decide to love me. And so suddenly their love doesn't feel really genuine because it's not. Their worship doesn't seem sincere because it's not. They were created. They were forced. They were brainwashed. They had no choice. And so then there's a second option I'm left with as a creator is I can allow these ants to experience everything in the world. And what if they get to, as they come out the egg, experience everything in the world? And while they're experiencing this world, I try to reveal myself to them and my heart and my character and my love and my power and my awesomeness and my beauty. And what if some of these ants, after experiencing everything else this world has to offer, what if some of them look to me and say, Ryan, we love you the most. Ryan, we think you are the coolest. Ryan, we think you are the most awesome church. Suddenly now we have genuine love. We have genuine worship. And the only way your love for God and your worship of Him could ever be sincere and genuine is if you had a choice. And so God has had to introduce in this world choice. And one of the greatest gifts He's given you is free will, which means you have to be able to choose to either love Him or love something else. Evil has to exist. There has to be a choice. If I said to you, hey, what do you want for supper tonight? You only have one of two choices. You can have McDonald's or McDonald's. Well, do you now have a choice? No, because I can only choose one thing. The only way for you to have free will and true choice is if I, if I give you options. And so God has done that for us. He's allowed us to either choose to love Him or we can love other things. To follow Him or follow other things. So that the few that choose to love and follow Him, their love is genuine and their worship is sincere. That's the kind of worshipers He's now looking for. It tells us in John 4.24. He's looking for those who worship Him in spirit and in truth. And so evil has to exist so that we can choose what path we're going to follow. Which road are we going to walk? So that our devotion to God is a choice.
and our love and worship for him is true. You can see Moses echoing the sentiment in Deuteronomy chapter 30 from verse 19. He says, today I have given you the choice. You have the choice, church, between life and death, between blessing and cursing. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. And so from the beginning of time, what we see is many men and women have made their choice. Some have chosen death and darkness and sin and disobedience. And because of that, this world is full of corruption and greed and drunkenness and murder and envy and darkness and sin and lust and just full of it. It's full of pollution and sickness and disease. Why? Because of the choice of men and women. This was God's gift to mankind to give you the ability to choose whether or not you're going to love him or not. And so we know for sure that evil is a real thing. And we know for sure that evil exists. And so how do we process it as a Christian when we're trying to follow Jesus and we just keep bumping into evil and we just keep suffering and we keep finding pain? How do we keep following Jesus? Well, one of the people who speaks into this the most in the Bible is Peter. Everyone say Peter. Oh, we love Peter. We've already seen him in this series. He knows a thing or two about suffering. And he writes about suffering in 1 Peter chapter 4. And I want us to read this together and get some wisdom from Peter on how you and I can suffer but still follow Jesus. So let's start in 1 Peter 4. Let's start in verse 12. He says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange was happening to you. Okay, what's the first thing you and I, when it comes to suffering, what's the first thing he's telling us to do? It's this. Don't be surprised don't be surprised by suffering. Look at someone and say, don't be surprised. <laughs> Guys, what Peter's saying is, hey, suffering is part of the human existence. It's coming. If you're in a season now where there's no suffering, enjoy it because suffering is on the way. It is part of the human existence. And so he's saying, don't be surprised when you find yourself in a season of suffering as if something weird's happening to you. You're a human being living in a corrupt, evil world. It's going to touch you. And many of us, when we experience pain or loss or suffering, we're like, why God? And how could you God? And God, don't you love me anymore? And so don't, don't react like that. Don't be like, God, where are you? And how could you? No, don't, don't act like that. <laughs> don't be surprised. Suffering's part of the human experience. Don't act like something strange or weird is happening to you. I mean, let me share with you some of the common suffering that's happening in the world right now. If you woke up today and took a breath, well, you're better off than the 1.5 million people who died this week. If you've never experienced the dangers of a war or the loneliness of a prison, if you've never experienced torture or starvation, then you're far ahead of the 500 million people on our earth who have. If you can attend a church meeting without fear of harassment or torture or death or arrest, then you're better off than three billion people on a billion, not million, billion people on our earth. If you have food in your fridge, clothes on your back, a roof over your head, and a place to sleep, then you are richer than 75% of our world. If you have some 
money in your bank account, some money in your wallet, some change lying in your couch, then you are in the top 8% of income earners in our world. If you have freedom of any kind, if you can freely come and go and choose your way, if you have freedom, well, then you're better off than the 50 million people living in slavery right now on earth today. 50 million slaves. Suffering is everywhere. And some of it is going to touch your life. It has no relation to your closeness to God. Suffering is everywhere. And it's different levels. Right? We're in South Africa, so we know a lot of, about suffering. We know what it's like to not have water for a few weeks and to have power outages on top of load shedding, right? <laughs> so sometimes suffering's at that level, but sometimes suffering is a, the realm of death, kidnapping, torture, murder, rape, abuse, loss, theft, bankruptcy. But no matter what level, some of it's gonna touch you. And so Peter's saying, don't be surprised. Nothing strange is happening to you. It's part of the human experience. In fact, what he's calling this in the Christians he's writing to here in 1 Peter 4, he calls it a fiery trial. Everyone say fiery trial. And some theologians believe the reason he uses those words specifically is actually in the year Peter wrote this letter, Caesar Nero, he was on a crusade to hunt down the Christians. And this is what he would do if he found the Christians. He would bind them. He would lift them up on a pole, tie them with rope, pour pitch over them, which is like a tar, and then set them alight. That's what would happen. Call that a fiery trial. And Peter looked at that and says, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if you're going through something like that as if something strange is, gonna, is happening to you, as if it's a weird thing. No, suffering is part of the human condition. It's going to happen. He tells us, he makes it clear, there's evil in the world, so there will be suffering in the world. And here's the thing, guys. God has never promised to take away all of your problems, all of your pain, and all of your suffering. Now, sometimes he will take some of it away. Sometimes he's going to reveal himself in your life in that way, but that isn't the guaranteed promise of God. Here's the promise of God, not to always take you out of the suffering, but to rather to take you through it. The promise of God is that He will never leave you. No matter what suffering you're going for, through, He will be there with you. He will give you the strength that you need, the peace that you need, the comfort that you need, the wisdom that you need. That is the promise of God to give you a peace that is beyond understanding, to give you a joy that is unshakable, to give you a hope that is incorruptible. He might not take you out of it, but He's guaranteed to take you through it. He will take you through it. Look at someone to say, he will take you through it. Suffering is a guarantee, but what else is guaranteed? My God will take us through it. And so that's why we've got to keep on following Jesus in the midst of our suffering and not be surprised as if something strange is happening. And then he tells us three things we need to do within our suffering. He starts in 1 Peter 4 verse 13. He says, instead be very glad. Everyone say, be very glad. Be very glad. He says, for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering, so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. Yeah, Peter tells us, after telling us not to be surprised, he's going to tell us three things we need to do. First of all, in your suffering, 
keep rejoicing. Keep rejoicing. Look at someone and say, keep rejoicing. He says, be very glad. Now, I know some of you are in intense pain today. And when someone comes to say, keep rejoicing, it's like a slap in the face. You're like, shush. Don't tell me that. Keep rejoicing. Why must I rejoice in the trials? Why must I rejoice in the pain? Well, let me share some of the reasons I think we can rejoice. Peter's telling us that as human beings, we cannot expect better treatment than Jesus Christ himself got. Okay, so... It sets you in line with living like Christ when we suffer like he suffered. But here's what we know. Number one, there's evil. It's real. Number two, it's present in our world. But number three, God can use evil for his purpose. God can use suffering for his purpose. I want you to know this, church. This is why we can rejoice. God can use it anyway. I can't believe that I've got to a place in my life where I can look back at some of my most crazy suffering, the times about the most lost, lonely, depressed, and hurt. And now I can be grateful for what God took, took me through because I can see how He used it. God can use the suffering. There's a purpose for it. There is a purpose behind the pain. Here are some of the ways God uses suffering. Number one, suffering can purify you. Suffering purifies. Look at someone and say, it purifies. We read about this in 1 Peter 1 verse 7. It says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It's being tested as fire tests and purifies gold. Though your faith, he says, is far more precious than gold. If we're going to take the time to mine an earthly mineral like gold and then put it through the fire, how much more will we take the time to put you through the fire? Because you're far more valuable than gold. He says it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ revealed to the whole world. I want to read that again. So when your faith remains strong in many trials, it will bring much praise and glory and honor on the day Jesus Christ is revealed. Just like fire refines gold, which means that as you burn the, as you, as you burn the gold, as you melt it, it brings up all the junk all the things that shouldn't be there, all the impurities, it's only the fire that can purify gold like that. Scripture is saying, well, sometimes God's going to do that in your life. He's going to turn up the heat because there's some junk He wants to get rid of. There's some things that maybe you've been avoiding that now He wants to deal with. There's some things that make you toxic, some brokenness you've been hiding, some lifestyle issues that you've been avoiding. God's sometimes saying, sometimes I'm going to use suffering to purify you. And it's a good thing. So rejoice. God might be doing an active work in your life, purifying you. Right? C.S. Lewis was famously asked, why do the righteous suffer? And he famously answered, why not? They're the only ones who can take it. Wow. You know, and I do look at people who are unbelievers, who have no one to take them through the trial who have no hope and strength and comfort in the middle of their storms. And I often think, how do you do it? Like, how? How? You and I know that even in the suffering, often God has a purpose. He has a plan. Sometimes He uses it to purify you. You know, if, if, if our life was a house, I think we would treat suffering like the dustbin of the house. 
right? Like the doghouse, the lowest part of our house. Paul elevates it. And he says, suffering is like the main bedroom. He exalts it. And he says, suffering can be a great thing in your life. It can be used to purify you. Sometimes that's why God will allow you to go through it. Second thing suffering does is suffering humbles you. Look at someone and say, suffering humbles you. Guys, I want to say pride is a faith killer. You know what pride is? Pride is a belief in some way that you don't need God. So like, I'm strong enough. I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. I'm wise enough. I don't need God. It's the original sin, right? This is what got the devil kicked out of heaven. Because he thought he could do it and he didn't need God. Guys, pride is something that at some point we're probably all going to struggle with. In fact, the Apostle Paul himself was struggling with pride. As he made this whole list of how God was using him, he was saying, you know what started to come about? I was tempted to become prideful than all God was doing in my life. Sometimes this is what's going to happen as you're following Jesus and you're seeing goodness and you're seeing things coming through your life and you're seeing how God's using you. There's going to be a temptation to become full of pride. It's like, God, I'm strong here now. I don't really need you here now. Well, introducing suffering. Sometimes God might use suffering to humble you. That's what he did to Paul. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians 12 from verse 7. So to keep me from becoming proud, Paul said, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. See, Paul, suddenly you're seeing your need for me. My power works best in weakness. So now I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Sometimes we're building our lives on these earthly pillars. We're building our lives on our success, on our money, on our wealth, on our health. And we start to think, God, I don't really need you here. I've got this. I'm sorted. And sometimes the best thing for God to do is like, well, let's get rid of that foundation. Right? So you can see you have a need for me. And that brings us to the third point. Not only does suffering purify you and humble you, but suffering can also make you depend on God again. It keeps you dependent on God. You know, when I have a weakness, when I'm not able to hold myself upright anymore, I have to lean on something. I have to lean on a stick, on a, on a cane, on a walker. I have to depend on something else because of my weakness. And sometimes that's what suffering does. It just zaps a life out of us. And suddenly I find myself depending on God like never before. How many of you know when you're in a season of suffering, your prayer life can be on fire, right? Like your fasting is next level. Like you're reading of the Word because you need answers now. And you'll even sit in silence and you'll just pray. Like why? Because I'm in a season of suffering. It forces me. Like God, I need you. I can't go on without you. The way we should be living every day. But when we're not living like that, sometimes it can be some suffering that brings us back. When we say, God, I, I'm living in a way where today I depend on you. You see, it's when you're weak that God's power in you is made perfect. And that's the thing about God's power and His strength. It seems to be attracted to weakness. Look at someone and say, God's power is attracted to weakness. In 1 Corinthians 1.27, it says, God 
chose the things this world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. He chose the things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Oh, guys, God's power kicks in when your power runs out. I want to tell you that. God's power is so available to us in our weakness. When we say, God, I need help, and I need you, and I can't go on without you, that's often when we're going to experience the power of God. It keeps us depending on Him. And so that's why Peter says, rejoice in your suffering. There is a purpose behind the pain. God can use this very season that you wouldn't have chosen for yourself, but He can use it to purify you and humble you and make you depend on Him once again, make you seek Him once again. Don't give up following. Rejoice that God is still in control. Rejoice that there's still hope in the Lord, even though you can't see it. Rejoice in your suffering. That's the first thing He tells us to do. Then He tells us two more things from verse 19. In 1 Peter 4, 19, He says, So if you are suffering... In a manner that pleases the Lord. Ooh, let's just stop there. For all you Christians who believe that God only wants you to be happy, that God's main concern is your blessing, that God's main concern is that you have a problem-free life, just look here. Sometimes there's a way to suffer in a way that pleases the Lord. So he says, so if you are suffering in a way that pleases the Lord, number one, Keep on doing what is right. In other words, in your suffering, keep on following Jesus. If you're deciding to follow Jesus, don't let your suffering make you quit. Because that's what very often happens. We're following Jesus, and now we're in suffering, and the prayer's not being answered, that the problem's not going away, the pain is still persistent every day, and at some point we are tempted to say, Well, then why am I even following Jesus? Why am I even praying? Why am I even going to church? Why am I even trying the circle group? Why am I even reading the Bible? Like, why? Why do I even fast anymore? Like, it doesn't seem to be working. My prayer is not being answered. Here's Peter saying, hey, when you're in suffering, keep on rejoicing, and you keep on following. You keep on doing good. Whatever good you were doing that was following Jesus, if you were, like, volunteering or praying often or reading your word or making community a... a a habit in your faith. You just keep on doing it. Look at someone and say, keep on doing it. He's saying, don't give up. This is not the time to give up. This is not the time to withdraw. This is not the time to stop doing good in your suffering. Keep following. And so it says, if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right. And then he says, and trust your lives to the God who created you, for he will never fail you. Um, or second, third thing we're told to do, rejoice in the Lord, keep following. Third thing we're told, and trust in Him. Trust Him, church. Trust Him. Trust Him. You know, that word trust in the original is actually a banking term. It talks about depositing your trust with the bank. Trusting the institution that they're going to give you back your money with interest. It was a banking term. Paul's saying when you are in suffering, you deposit your trust into God. Not into the things you can see, not in the things you experience, not in the people around you, not in your strategy. You just deposit your trust. In other words, you make a choice. I choose to trust God anyway. I deposit my trust. Why? Because I know at the end of the day, my God will never fail me. He's never failed me yet, and He never will. And I want you to know, no matter what suffering you're going through right now, our God never fails. 
He never fails. Church, he doesn't know how to fail. He doesn't know how to fail. He's never failed. He will never fail you. And so trust him. And those of you who are a parent, I think we have a unique perspective on this. You know why? Because we've had babies that we've had to take to the doctor. You know how heartbreaking it is? I've had to do this many times. You take your little baby to the doctor, and now your baby needs an injection or needs a cast put on or needs something dug out their ears. And the doctor motions to you and says, hey, will you come hold your baby down? Guys, you know how awful that is? When your baby looks at you screaming, and you can see what they're thinking. How could you? How could you do this to me? How could you cause me so much pain? How could you allow this man to do this? He's hurting me. Make it stop. And with the father heart, all you want to do is try to explain in some way, this is for your good. This is to help you. This is to give you a future and a hope. But no matter how much you try to explain that, it's beyond this baby's ability to comprehend it. And our God, whose ways are so much higher than ours, so much greater than ours, I think sometimes he would want to explain to you what he's doing in your life, but it's just beyond your ability to even comprehend it. So Peter says, trust in him. You make a decision to trust that he's still good, even when you can't see his goodness, to trust that he's still the healer, even when you can't see the healing, to trust that he's still the provider, even when you can't see the provision, to trust that he's still the comforter, even when you feel lonely. I choose to trust that my good dad is in control and that if this is happening to me, it's for good. And so I know we have this... This tendency to, to act like those babies and we cry out, God, how could you? And where are you? And why would you? Lord, it doesn't make sense. And I thought your promises said something else. And now you're allowing this pain of our life. We cry out like these babies. Lord, where are you? Amen. And so often God is actually doing a work for our good because Peter says our God never fails. You know, there's this interesting interaction that happens with Jesus and his disciples in John chapter 9. They come across this guy that's been born blind from birth. And the disciples act just like we act. They ask, why? Why would that happen? In John 9 from verse 2, they said, Rabbi, his disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? Really, his own sins? He was in the womb. Like, what did he do, right? And Jesus replies, it wasn't because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so that the power of God could be seen in him. And then Jesus healed him. And suddenly as Jesus heals this blind man who's been blind from birth, suddenly we see the power of God because of his blindness. And I want to say if there was no sickness in our lives, we would never see the healing of God. If there was no impossible situations, we wouldn't know he's a God of the impossible. If there was no lack of poverty, we would never experience him as our supernatural provider. If we never experienced loneliness or brokenheartedness, we would never know he's a God who comforts us. It's often in our suffering, in our lack, in our pain, that the glory of God can be revealed. And so when you are in pain, I beg of you, do not give up on your faith. Do not stop following Jesus. You just put one step in front of the other and in your suffering, don't be surprised. Suffering is coming. 
It's part of our human existence. Don't be surprised. God's not doing something strange. He's giving up on you. In your suffering, you make this decision, God, in this time, I will keep on rejoicing. God, in this time, I will keep on doing what is good. God, in this time, I will keep trusting you because you are the God who never fails. And you're not going to start today. There's this beautiful verse I want to read over you as you stand to your feet. Can I invite you now? I just want this to be really private and personal. Can you close your eyes? In Romans 8 verse 28, it says, And we know that God causes everything. Right where you are, can you say everything? We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. If you love God today, and if you're called according to His purpose, then that verse applies to you. And there's no amount of pain or suffering that God will let go to waste. And at the end of the day, He will never fail you. And so I want to really just give this moment, make it a holy moment for those of you who are right now experiencing some kind of loss or lack or depression or hurt or pain or suffering in your life. Whatever level that might be at, whether right now it's just a constant irritation or it's something that is really just even making you question whether you want to live anymore, whatever level that's at, there are three different ways we can respond today. I'm going to ask Jean Michel to sing over us. And as he sings over us and ministers to us with song, I believe some of you need to just spend this time in prayer. You need to just reaffirm your trust for your good father and say, God, if there's pain in my life right now, I don't understand it, but I trust you're still good. You just need to have a conversation with your father right now. Some of you need to worship God. You need to join in this song or sing a new song to God. You need to make a decision right now in your pain that you're going to choose to worship. You're going to choose to rejoice. You're going to choose to just declare God's goodness and His greatness and His love in the midst of your pain. Some of you, as you talk to God, need to reaffirm your commitment to good works. Maybe you've given up praying. You've given up reading the Bible, coming to church, or maybe you've given up serving or going to a circle. You've given up because of the pain. Today, I want to encourage you, keep on doing good in the middle of your suffering. And then finally, I want to ask our prayer team to come up. Can our prayer team come here, our pastors, our elders? I believe there's some of you, you just need us to stand with you in prayer. You need us to declare God's goodness and power in your life, in your circumstance. You might not know how to get through this pain. It might be too much for you to bear today. Well, we're going to then stand with you in prayer. And so right now, whether you need to pray privately, worship God privately, whether you need us to stand with you in prayer, use these five minutes. I want to ask that you don't leave unless you're a volunteer somewhere. Let's use this time right now to really press into the God who never fails. I want you to evaluate the places in your life where you're suffering. Can you rejoice in it? Can you thank God in it? And can you keep on following Jesus anyway? Let's spend this time with Jesus right now.